Hi there, my name is Alex Faust and you're listening to Conversations at the Edge. Each week we meet with the top business thought leader to learn what they think we should be prioritizing to build better businesses, positively impact our communities, and scale up. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending on what part of the world you are joining us from. My name is Alex Faust, your host of Conversations at the Edge. And I'm very excited to be joined today by Tom Searcy. And if you don't know him and haven't read his books, well, he's a nationally recognized author, speaker, and foremost expert in large account sales. So I'm thrilled to have him joining our community today to talk about sales and his brand new course, which is called The Life After the Death of Selling. So Tom, welcome to Conversations at the Edge. And where are you calling in from today? Uh, Indianapolis. So Tom, I want to jump in. We're talking about the death of selling. Um, so what has changed in the sales environment over the last couple of years? And what are buyers expecting or not expecting from sales folks? And how do we kind of get through the death of selling? When I was growing up, my dad was a territorial sales rep. And in the summers, my brother, my sister, and I would alternate. and We'd go out on the road with him. All right. And so this was many, many moon ago. Uh, but you know, you had SIC, right, uh, codes that you would follow as far, as far as industrial codes that decided where you're going to go and knock on the door and go talk to the owners of the business. And you make calls and appointments. And they were glad to see you because you had all the information, the knowledge, the technical uh, pieces that were out there. You were an information source as well as a salesperson. Buyers out there don't need you. They're the Internet. They think that they're going to Google what you have to offer. As a matter of fact, over two-thirds of the sales other companies out there say that they would like to make their purchases without meeting a salesperson. Um, because of that is because the world has moved to a transactional environment. I can go online. I can go on to Alibaba.com or Google or so many other places and I can buy what it is I think I want and need. Salespeople are those people that say, you have a unique problem and I'm going to provide you a unique, unique solution. Otherwise, you can just go online and make your purchase, declare your preference, color, size, price, whatever it is, you don't need a sales rep for that anymore. Before you did, but that has changed. And if you're in that transaction uh, circumstance, you're going to move to text, email, uh, or phone as uh, the way in which those transactions uh, happen. Uh, Someone making a purchase and declaring a preference, that's not selling. That's just order taking of a different color. So can we go a little bit deeper into that? You know, we have, I'm sure, a lot of businesses today who are, you know, doing marketing and they're getting calls or form filled out on their website and following up these people to try and engage them into products or services. Um, but you're saying that's not necessarily what selling is. Selling is something more in-depth. Selling is something larger than that. And so can you talk to us like what is selling? How would you define the process of selling today? Step number one is problem recognition. Step number two is problem solution. One of the things that uh, the professional salespeople out there, and I need to declare something that's declared in the book, and that is, is by the end of this decade, it is expected that 1 million jobs will be gone from sales. There'll be a 22% reduction in the positions we call sales. They'll be into technology um, and they'll be into uh, implementation and training, coaching, transaction processing. So that's what's going to happen. Selling is those places in which you offer 
a unique set of questions in which you are providing them uh, a clear picture of what their problem is and what your knowledge is of, of how that happens, right? And then you craft a solution from what it is that your company brings to the table. They're relying on you in those circumstances as being an expert in, in that, uh, that buyer's world, their technology, their competitors, their marketplaces, their uh, legislation that's going into them. So they expect you to know their world and how that's happening. So you're almost expected to be one step ahead of them in their own marketplace so that your solution is valid to them. If they already know or believe that they've got the, the problem uh, identified, then, then you're just in a comparative analysis. Think of it as a horse race uh, between you and a variety of other horses to find out who is the faster of the horses, but all the horses are fundamentally the same. And what are you looking for? Well, you're looking for the horse that wins by a nose. Problem is that you go back and they start the horse race all over again, and you have to do it again and again and again. That's the world of purchasing and buying that so many people have to suffer through. It's not selling. Um, it's just a different version of purchasing um, where the control is then given for the creation, identification of the problem, and then the selection of the service. That's all done by the buyer side. So it transitioned over from the seller having the, the let's just say, power or the ability of influence to the buyer now has the power or ability to influence who's selling to them. So in this new era of selling these big sales, you talk about it being more of a collaborative team-to-team -team selling process versus a person-to-person -person or one-to-one executive-executive sales process. Can you talk about how that, you know, how that looks and how that works today? Yeah. The issue of collaborative sales is driven by a couple of things. No one buys big alone because no one wants to take complete accountability alone. They want to be able to spread out. We made that decision rather than that I made that decision. Second thing is that people are nervous about the use of resources. They can't make a decision on their own, even the CEO of a company, and then hope that they thought of all the technology impacts or the supply chain management, the operations, the IT, go on and on. They're saying, I need my team to be there. It's still my decision, but these are going to be the people who are responsible for implementing. And if they're the people responsible for implementing, I need them to at least participate. So from that comes the peer-to-peer. -peer. Nobody, I'd say this, after the decision is made for strong consideration, those other people don't want to talk to salespeople. They want to talk to the peers they would be working with inside of your company. They want to know not only that you're collaborative, meaning that your team works together and is able to be effective, but they want to know, can we collaborate together? in order to implement this because I've got, you know, everybody that we sell to, they've got a full plate. They've got other things on their, uh, on their list. And the idea that they're going to work with you looks like potentially more work, even if you've got all these great benefits where you say it will be less work in the long run. Their answer is, yeah, it's a flywheel. I got to go lift really, really hard and then I'll get the benefits sometime later on. So that's that collaborative piece. And, um, we talk about it in what we call a stage gate process. And so our sales process starts with the idea that each stage along the way, which includes people and information exchange, you have to complete that stage before you open the gate to the next stage. And you do that because you know there's certain questions that need to be asked, certain information that needs to be shared from them and from you 
in order for there to be a successful process. If you put the process together effectively and you build that stage gate, which we won't be able to build that today, but that's what the whole process is, is to build that stage gate, you get a close rate greater than 50%. That's important because landing big sales takes up a lot of resources. So you need to have a high confidence rate that you're going to be able to close that deal and it's going to be worth the energy you put into it. Um, Anita's asking, Tom, are you saying the big deal stage gate process is pre-designed or is it a more fluid in the moment process that you're building? No, it's pre-designed. It doesn't mean that leadership doesn't have a a role. I mean, uh, remember that the process serves us. We don't serve the process. However, the reason you build the process is so that inside your own organization, there's an understanding of roles and questions to ask and how your involvement is. The fluid part of that is leadership-based, but leadership should not be making a shift to the process by 10 or 15%. It just means that the process is not well-designed. If you have to go by 10 to 15 or more than percent, it's because you need to go back and redesign the process because the process is supposed to put you in a position of efficiency. We get better at what we do because we do the same things, measure them, and determine how to do other things. Um, and so, you know, leadership leadership can't be thrown out the window and say, "Well, we're just going to stick this into our Salesforce uh, CRM, and then that's going to run the process without anybody having to be uh, involved." Not true. So let's talk a little bit more about managing the sales process. One of the things that I learned from you about like understanding how the process is going is really focusing on what you call movement versus motion. And so I'm curious if you can talk about the difference between those like types of KPIs and why you're more focused on movement versus motion KPIs. It comes from a long background of what I would call death by meeting. All right. It's the, it's the weekly review of the pipeline. And I'm, we start at A, we get to Z, probably end by J, and then say, please send me a note. And we say, so what's going on with uh, the American Express account or with Joe's Pretty Good uh, Barbecue Sauce account? And we start going, well, you know, I called them the last week and they got back to me. And then I, I, they sent me an email, asked for some information. I sent to me. That's all motion. That's, that's lots of, of uh, activity that hasn't accomplished a movement forward from one stage to the next stage. So listening to activity discussions is like a travel log without any movement. We haven't left town, but I've got a whole bunch of places to tell you what I've looked at and I've thought about and et cetera. I need to know, did you accomplish the information exchange and people to people meeting, whether it's by uh, Zoom or phone call or whatever, that lets us know that we're making progress. I hate, uh, the typical um, sales pipeline review, because the conversation every time is about what we did, not what got accomplished. And so in our movement versus motion dashboard, right, um, the movements are set in place based on a time section. Uh, stage one should take a week or four weeks or whatever it is. And then we move, each one has a different amount of time. By doing that, we set it up with a green, yellow, red, simple setup that says, are we on pace at each of these places? Are we at risk or are we stopped? A, a pipeline review may only have two accounts. There may be 20 in the pipeline, but there's only two accounts that are not on pace. Now we can spend our time on strategy, on discussion, providing leadership, additional resources, or removing from our pipeline because 
we really know where we are in that through the movement. I don't want to hear how many emails or texts or whatever were sent. Because um, if you're not moving, I don't care. I know that sounds a little brutal, but in the end, selling on a large account basis is expensive. That energy should not be wasted. It should be applied to those things that are going to move. So I'm curious, you know, obviously talent and people are a big concern for many of the business leaders today. So I'm curious, you know, what kind of people are necessary to have on your team to to sell these big deals in today's environment? So I'm going to say a couple of things that maybe are not particular popular, but they've been truthful for me. And that is, is I want people that are at the execution, senior execution level on that team as early as uh, possible. Key operations people, key IT people, uh, anybody who's involved in the engineering or whatever. I want the credibility builders as fast as possible in that sales process because salespeople don't close big deals. Big deals are closed by teams. All right. And so the selling, the real selling begins when we start to put those people together. So I want someone at that top level to be there. Now, someone else has to be able to open the door, do the uh, create enough of an understanding of the value that we offer and the solution that we can provide in, et cetera. But quickly, quickly, that meeting needs to move over to someone else. They don't have to be polished. I don't need an op- uh, you know an ops person or IT person who can quote Shakespeare. I need someone who's credible and can have the conversation, even if it's a little, I'm going to call it, let, let's call it um, sloppy. And all I mean by sloppy is, is that it's not all polished up, but it is all accurate and encouraging because the person to whom you're speaking understands that the language that's being offered and the perception that's being offered is much more what they need and has a little less polish to it, but a lot more value. Tom, so I want to just give you an opportunity. Any, you know, last minute pieces of advice or, you know, things you think the community should know leaving today's conversation? I would say this, and it's just two prongs to it. Number one, uh, don't deny the facts. And what's happened in the last two years has helped us all to de- to stop denying, right? It's, uh, you know, the question that I start off some of my meetings with is what are we pretending we don't know? Um, the fact is that there, the migration of sales away from traditional road warrior sales is happening. Be out in front of uh, the curve and look at what can I transition to something that doesn't require a road warrior. And the reason being is the cost of sales going up too high. So you got to figure out what can I move over. Secondly, is that as you look at your team doing team selling, you need to start the process of them becoming comfortable in those multiple people conversations. My hunch is that the people that are on this session, probably pretty good at that or on the way. The companies that get it wrong, they're too slow to converting uh, over to that approach to selling. Thanks for listening to Conversations at the Edge. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it with a friend or a teammate who you think would benefit from what we covered. 
In addition, you can find us on LinkedIn to get all of the updates, or if you'd like to hear the full conversation, just visit growthinstitute.com forward slash the edge to learn how you can become a member as well. Thanks again and see you next time.